Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley... Seven years ago, the Massachusetts Port Authority shook up the local real estate world. Plans for a new hotel to be sited on public land the agency oversaw would be the biggest to open in Boston since the mid-80s. But the agency's thumbs up for developers hinged on to the inclusion of companies owned by women and people of color working as leaders of the hotel development. Dubbed the Massport model, the contractual diversity requirement helped forge new relationships beyond this project. The Omni Boston Hotel at the Seaport opened in September to rave reviews. The $550 million complex has 1,054 rooms, seven dining options, and glorious views of the Boston city skyline. But the gleaming luxury hotel marks something bigger than just a building, a lucrative business model that centers diversity. Later in the show, the MacArthur Foundation released the names of its class of 2021 Genius Fellows this October. They join an exclusive group of previous fellows who have demonstrated outstanding talent in their fields. American historian, professor, and author Dr. Ibram X. Kendi is one of three local awardees, part of our series, The Genius Next Door. But first, joining me now, Dwayne Jackson, managing member of Alina Capital Partners and former member of the Massachusetts Port Authority's Board of Directors, who pushed for the Massport model policy. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you for having me, Callie. Glad to have you. Also with me, Richard Taylor, chairman of the Taylor Smith Companies, where he manages multiple real estate business entities and director of the Center for Real Estate at Suffolk University. Hi, Richard. How are you, Callie? I'm doing well. Also with me, Mikyong Kim, landscape architect and owner of the firm Mikyong Kim Design in Boston, who helped design the Omni Hotel. I'm so glad to talk to each of you. I'm going to start back in 2018 at the groundbreaking. Let's just take a listen to the groundbreaking of the Omni Boston Hotel back in 2018. Today we celebrate two groundbreakings. One is a physical groundbreaking for a signature hotel, but we also celebrate a second policy groundbreaking. This project represents a policy experiment on the diversity of our economy and the diversity of our real estate development opportunities. Okay, Dwayne Jackson, over to you, because you were on the board of the Massport at that time, and you pushed really hard to make this Massport model become a reality. And what we heard there was an acknowledgement of that, that this project is more than just building, but it included some really interesting points that led to some integral involvement of people of color and women. What's important to know about the Massport model that you helped make a reality, Duane, is that there were four requirements 
And one of the requirements was about diversity. Now, why was that important to have it break down that way? What Explain to us why these four requirements added up to something that had not been seen before. So, as you know, at that point, I was both vice chair of the board and chair of the Real Estate and Strategic Initiatives Committee. Um, and the one thing that I knew because of, be, you know, being in the business and um, having an understanding of real estate as a commodity um, was that all things considered, Massport controlled some of the most valuable land literally in the country. Number two, Boston is a high barrier to entry city, and therefore it is extremely difficult to, uh, to one, enter the market, and then once in the market, create opportunities you know, for, for, you know, profitable deals. So the idea of leveraging diversity as an equal criteria on a 100-point scale was a tool that we could use to differentiate between the parties. And in fact, um, there was considerable discussion around this issue of how to weight you know, diversity. And at ultimately, we felt or the agency believed that equally weighting it equally would be a distinguishing characteristic going forward. So that meant that you could have the financing, but if you didn't, if you weren't equally strong in your and what you could present as a diversity option, meaning that you could demonstrate that there would be people at all levels, women and people of color working in this project, you were not eligible to lead this project. You you just, you're, you're out. That's correct. Um, and that made a huge difference for some people who would never have had an opportunity before, as you've said. Now, Richard Taylor, that was an opportunity for you to sort of bring some folk together, understanding that was the rule that had never been in that position before under the new Boston Hospitality Group. Um, talk about what you did. I want to first commend Director Dwayne Jackson because he exemplifies that public policy counts. And but for his appointment by Governor DeVal Patrick and his own instincts and knowledge of the business, I'm not sure that uh, this model would have been developed. Now, the 25% was critical because if you did not have diversity, you could only maximize 75 points in the evaluation. That's the difference. And so that would move the business community. If they could only score 75, then they had to diversify. And on the strength of that, I'm going to share with you how powerful it was. Because even though I had not had hotel experience, that 25% empowered me to organize a team. They didn't call me, I called them. And my message was simple you either have to work with me or somebody like me to get above 75 points. You cannot win with 75 points. So I can't underestimate the power of Dwayne, Tom, and others at Massport putting an equal point on the evaluation criteria with 25%. And that allowed me to uh, first talk with um, Howard Elkus, Elkus Manfredi, who recommended Mick Young, among others, uh, of course, John Davis, Robin Brown, and then we brought in, of course, David Lee, uh, Greg Janey, and so many others. And in addition to that, we created this minority investment pool where we opened up the opportunity for local folks to put in $100,000 over time, not in one fell swoop, 
to increase the participation in the capital stack. So the point was, without that 25% in the evaluation budget, then I would not have been in the game. And in fact, when I spoke to Greg Janey back in 2017, after the announcement of the model and the project happened, he really talked about what a difference it made for him in terms of opportunity. So this is Greg Janey, founding partner and chief executive of Janey Construction Management and Consulting in Boston, speaking to us back in 2017 about how the Omni deal opened up opportunities for him. And so what you would find prior to this is I can't find any qualified minority contractors with the capacity because people relied on a list. And that public list said this person had a capacity of X or Y. This model erases the list. Janie would not have been able to participate if they depended on that qualification. So now we find ourselves on this multi-million dollar project that we would normally not been able to qualify for. And as it happened, Mikyung, you were working with one of the entities that came under the umbrella of working with this project, and you're a minority uh, and woman-owned firm. So that worked out well. That's right. (laughs) Talk about um, your being approached by this and looking at this project and thinking about what it could mean for someone like yourself. And also uh, speaking to what Greg said, the kind of opportunities that you got before were not on this level. That's right. I think that when Massport decided to really, I, I don't know that understand fully the details of the percentages, and but that structural change in, in how Massport developed this request for proposals really started, our phone started ringing <laughs> about this project because everybody wants to meet the requirements. And so I think, you know, in the end, the project is a kind of symbol of change. I mean, it's it's a, it's an aspiration to say, well, maybe the construction team and, and the way that a project is designed in, in Boston, that that construction team should look like the city and its people, um, that there should be a reflection. And so I think that's a really exciting thing to see. And, I, you know, the project's been so successful that I think it's really shown it's, it can be a model for, for all development in the city. In fact, Mikyung, back in 2017, you said you thought of it as kind of planting seeds for the future. That's right. Four years ago, I think Boston was a really different city than it is today. Um, the seaport has really gone through major transformations, and um, you know, the hotel is part of that. But I'm more I'm really interested in the process. You know how how does a city build? Um, and how can it be more inclusive in the way in which it builds? And I think this hotel is really a, a model for the future um, and for Seaport, which has a lot of work left to do. Now, just so everybody is clear, you did the streetscape landscape, the rooftop pool entertainment area, and an additional rooftop garden and event space, and the turnaround area where you come into the hotel. So, in fact, your work is the first thing that a lot of people will see as they come into the hotel. That's right. I mean, landscape is, is, is such an important part of the city. You know, it is the thing that you walk on. It's the connective element between buildings. And um, that's what's exciting about this project is, you know, it's, it's taking Summer Street and really we're one of the first kids on the block. Of course, we're across from the convention center. 
but um, trying to transform Summer Street into a real city street. And so that was also exciting to see. But yes, there are all these other types of spaces and the turnaround, trying to make that as welcoming as possible. Um, a pool deck up above where it, the convention center is like right in your view. And so um, it's a real urban development in that it has a diversity of outdoor spaces. And as we think about, I mean, we're trying to crawl out of COVID. Landscape has been never more important as it is today. So now I want to go to a part that uh, don't I don't want any of you to be insulted, but I have to address this because I know somebody is listening to this conversation saying, what's the big deal? Okay, so you got some women on it and you got some people of color on it. And I hope they were as good as whoever could have had the job before, because that's the insulting way this often comes. I just need to note, because I just was speaking to you, Mikyong, that since you got the appointment and the work on the project, you've won about 5,000 more awards for your landscape design, national awards. I just need to say that. Dwayne Jackson, uh, you know the people that were involved, as, do, as does uh, Richard, uh, in this project. And they always had the skills. They just didn't have the opportunity. So, it, you know, it's, this is a far more complicated conversation, Callie, because if you if you can just reflect for a minute, um, our first RFP went out for a headquarters co- hotel in like 2015, right shortly after the uh, the Fed's study on the uh, inequality here in Boston. Let me just re- say, remind people that's requests for proposals. Go ahead. That's right. You know, our our objective, again, was to address an historical discrepancy and, and disadvantaged position of particularly black, brown and women owned business in the city of Boston. The RFP, or at least my request at the board meeting, was that I wanted to see engagement at each level of the project ownership, professional services, and because it was a hotel, employment, you know, going forward. Richard and I have been, you know, comrades in arm for 40 years in this city in the real estate space. And we know the level of of capacity uh, and ability of our colleagues. And they never had an opportunity to participate at projects of this scale. And quite frankly, all of, all of our colleagues have been trained at some of the finest universities in this country, and yet they have been denied. This was the opportunity. And so I said, you know what, we're going to do this. And we are generating true economic development within the city. We are increasing the access to work and services. And by you know definition, it will have a, a, a multiplier effect on income growth and a dispersion within the, 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 the city. Uh, and the region. So, um, you know, I dismiss those types of criticisms because in fact, not only was there a more than capable team uh, across the spectrum uh, among all of the competitors, but that they performed to the benefit of the Commonwealth and and to the benefit of the city of Boston. Richard? Well, I think when you listen to Dwayne, you can understand the power of his experience and his understanding of the the delicate art and science of creating opportunities for people who've been shut out. If you look at all the disparities, Kelly, and those listening and uh, the Federal Reserve study, the disparities in in wealth, income, net worth, uh, education, health, 
the reason those disparities exist in many cases is lack of opportunity. And so if our city is in fact going to close those gaps and give everyone an opportunity to fulfill their professional talents and their life talents, we've got to expand opportunity. And uh, again, I, you know, Dwayne is my friend, but that's separate and apart from the brilliance that he brought to shaping this policy. And it's been transformative, not just for that deal, but everyone now is private and public is trying to emulate the mass port model because it is in fact good for everyone. I've introduced people, um, uh, for example, um, young Kevin Bino has a residential management company in Roxbury. He is now, as a consequence of a joint venture with Lincoln Properties, which had never happened before, not only going to manage a life science building in the seaport, but he's now managing the bowling building in Roxbury, which had been, uh, been managed by a majority company prior to his ability to now be certified to do commercial work. So it's been all kind of ramifications as a consequence of that. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm speaking with Dwayne Jackson, formerly on Massport's Board of Directors, Richard Taylor, chairman of the Taylor Smith Companies, and Mikyong Kim, owner of the firm Mikyong Kim Design. We're discussing the newly opened Omni Boston Hotel at the Seaport. And it's at the Seaport I want to go to now because all of you have said at one time or another, uh, the importance that of, of this uh, project taking place in that space. So, Duane, let me start with you. You were quoted extensively, ironically, in 2017 when this was just announced by The Globe, who'd done a big race series, and in that series had one chapter called A Brand New Boston Even Whiter Than the Old, referring to the seaport area. So there was nothing down there that would indicate folks of color or women had opportunities for development or anything else. So having this Omni Hotel project come to fruition does a lot for that arena. What, what, how do you see the impact? I think that we have to make the distinction between the transaction, which was the creation of the hotel, and the social environment and economic environment that exists in the seaport. It's still connected, but I, I think there is a financial slash economic imperative that tends to work against this idea of a, you know, this, this, in, and I don't mean this in the racial sense, but just in, in this in, integrated environment. I think that the hotel is now a symbol of the possibility. And I think that we have to look into, we have to have this conversation within the context of economic and, and financial access so that people in fact can't afford to be in the seaport district. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean, you know, it's like, it's a very high end cost to socialize and participate in that sort of micro economy. And so finance and economics are a barrier as much as comfort and and familiarity. But the question now becomes, you know, you know, do we start integrating the environment socially by doing affordable housing? Do we discount certain commercial spaces to create an opportunity for less capitalized uh, minority businesses to be down there? I'm not sure that's the right answer. Um, yeah. And, 
And I think that that is a conversation that, quite frankly, I've been having with other colleagues around this issue of, of the, uh, the seaport, how it's developed and what it looks like going forward. Richard? I could add to that, though, because I can tell you, since the hotel is opened, I have had more than 10 friends of mine who come to Boston, and because they know the hotel has a minority ownership, they've elected to stay there. I get a text that said, how far is it from South Station? Should I walk? Should I get an Uber? How should I get there? And I've, I've had to go down five times to buy lunch and drinks to thank people for coming. <laughs> But that's okay. So people are even changing their hospitality locations and venues. And by the way, I wanna thank Omni, Robin Brown, the staff now at the hotel, overwhelmingly people of color. So when you walk into the Omni, it is a different look on the seaport. So all of those things have contributed to a better utilization. Last Mother's Day, Kathy and I went to the Institute of Contemporary Art and had a dinner there in the seaport. We would never have done that in prior years. So I think Dwayne's right. There, need, there needs to be some other thinking about the retail spaces, but the fact that people can feel a little more comfortable now because of the Omni and because it is in fact a hotel, you can spend the night, get a massage, buy lunch, buy dinner, have a drink, that's gonna help bring social capital to uh, the seaport like not before. And we should say that the workers in the hotel, that was part of the plan originally, that it was not just to have all the folks in leadership in the building of the Omni Hotel, but that the workers were supposed to reflect the change as well. And there, as you've mentioned earlier, there was investment opportunities available for folks of color as well. It was all to come together as one. And so you have a situation where, as Dwayne says appropriately, it's symbolic. There's other stuff to be done, but the symbolism can have other kinds of meaning as this goes forward. And back to you, Mikyung. What you said in 2017 was this is not a neighborhood. This is this is very unwelcoming in the way that it looks and sits. And one of the things that you wanted to do with your design was you can't turn the whole thing into a neighborhood, but begin to create a space where people did feel welcome there. That's right. I mean, this is a hotel, so it's a, a different kind of and it's across from a convention center. So it's a part of the city that's very it's got a lot of people from outside moving around and coming and visiting, but it's also, you know, how a city is built. And I wanted to kind of go back to one of the questions you asked earlier, which is, you know, why should we care about diversity? And I, I think that if we think of it, not just in eco economic terms, but we also understand it in terms of um, who lives in these cities. Most cities are majority minority and um, how do these cities look? Like we go to visit a lot of great cities, Rome, Paris, New York, San Francisco. And it's that diversity of building, of design that makes it interesting. And it's the same kind of logic of how we design the voices of, of diverse designers that shape um, an interesting city that I think is another reason why having folks of color help shape the future of Boston, I think is really important. So Richard, you said earlier, you gave an example of something that has grown from this Massachusetts model. Dwayne, what have you seen? Other projects, 
other opportunities based on the model? Yeah, I, in, in fact, uh, I have. But let me just say, Richard, I, I'm really uh, impressed that uh, there has been a, a social consequence, if you will, of you having completed this project. I, I know we have a couple of mutual friends who said that they specifically went through Boston and said that they were going to stay, stay at the hotel to experience it. Indeed. Because there was um, black and brown engagement in, in that project. So, so, so I just want to acknowledge that. But Callie, here is the most interesting ramification from my perspective. Just uh, last week, I was on a call for a project that I'm doing in New Bedford. It's 53 units of uh, uh, mixed income housing. And the department head that allocates the tax credits made a, uh, a specific reference to team diversity in these projects to ensure that there is uh, representation. I said, wow, this is, this is fascinating. When, <laughs> when the state is asking for, for minority participation in projects in order to get you know, tax, low-income housing tax credit allocations, we have truly penetrated you know, the, the economic universe. So yes, there have been significant conversations going forward. I had an interesting conversation actually three days ago with a organization of colleges and universities who read about the model, read a case study prepared by the Kennedy School and wanted to have a more in-depth conversation uh, about how do we apply that model to procurement for universities in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, this thing had, a, I, I thought it would have a life. In, in fact, it has uh, generated far more interest and uh, speculation moving forward than I ever imagined, not the least of which is because of the success of Richard and the, the uh, Omni Hotel project. Kelly, I want to mention one other project too. The, the uh, Harvard University, when Tom Glenn moved to Harvard, put out an RFP to develop 14 acres of enterprise research campus. And Tishman Spire took on our model. They've hired a number of people. I don't know, Mick Young, if you're involved in that, but you might be. And um, they have elevated the minority capital raise from the 7 million that we did to 23 million, and in fact, raised 30 million. So that's been a huge, a, a threefold increase in minority equity participation in projects. So that's been a major step forward as well as two other mass port projects in the seaport have also committed to substantial minority capital raises. There has been so much spin off and adoption is the right word of, of, of all of these components that I believe over the next five years and more, you're gonna see a significant transformation in minority and women business capacity, and therefore narrowing the disparity gaps around wealth, income, and experience. I think our city will be much the better for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the ideal is in 10, 20, 40 years that entities like Massport and the state won't have to set these requirements. That at the beginning, we set these requirements, but that it'll become so embedded in the process of development that people will just, you know, kind of think, oh, I think it's more interesting to have a diverse design team, a diverse construction team, a diverse investment group. Um, 
Callie, you know that in construction also, it's not just people of color, but it's women. There's just a, not enough women involved in, in the process and in the construction and building of cities. And so I think the more this project does that and the more that future projects in Boston can do that, I think, you know, it's one of the last frontiers. All right. Now a personal question to each of you, because you're living history, really. I mean, people are writing about this now. Um, they will be writing about it. And we're seeing all of the, the ways in which it's developing um, and evolving and changing and adding to what may be happening, as Mikyong said, in 10, 20 years. So how did it feel to be part of this historic development? Mikyong, I'll start with you. I mean, it was really, it's really exciting. It's always exciting to be part of a, a really impactful and large project like this. I think also when we started in 2017 and we, we spoke to you back then on, on, on your show, I think we, you know, we weren't sure where this was going to go. And I think it's, it's just exciting to see how this has been part of a larger change in the city of Boston and, and how we build in Boston. So I, I just find it really amazing. And I think there were a lot of leaders um, who helped to make this happen. Richard, how does it feel? Well, I think initially it, it, was, uh, it wasn't clear because a number of us were coming together in a business framework and we had had social relationships. I knew John Davis, I knew Robin Brown, but we had never worked together in something of this size. And so there had to be some getting to know each other and quite frankly, had to get some trust barriers around business. Who should be on the team? Do they have the capability? If not, how can we buttress them to make sure they're on the team? How much money could we raise? Uh, what's the best way to do that? Well, we had to demystify and democratize capitalism. So initially, there was a lot of very, very hard, intense work. I had to prove that I had the medal, you know, and you have to prove it. There's no assumption. So I would say we were anxious to make it work, but there was a lot of up and down in the meantime. But I'm glad that it ultimately ended up actually pretty good, <laughs> pretty good. And Dwayne, father of the Massport model, this is legacy work. How, do, how does it feel for you? I, I got to tell you, Callie, it feels strange. I, I don't really consider it. I mean, I, I know it is historic, but it, it doesn't, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't resonate with me. Um, it was a, you know, we're all, some of us, I should say, are children of the dream. And so we come out of a legacy of folks making sacrifices and stepping forward at specific moments in time to, to undo or to right wrongs. And so uh, for me, it was like, it was very strange because it was, it, was it was a metamorphosis while I sat on the board and I realized that I was in this position of power and influence and that I had an obligation to change, you know, certain circumstances that had existed that Richard and I and, and our cohorts had confronted for 10, 15, 20 years. So it was, I've had people say, oh, that was courageous. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. All I needed to do was open my mouth because I was in a position to do it. And I was bright enough to be able to understand what was going on. So, you know, there is so much work that I see ahead of us uh, as a consequence of this, that it's very difficult for me to to consider this a a historical um, 
um, you know, my, it's a, it's a milestone. It's a, it's the first step in a process of social and economic change here in the city of Boston. That's the way I see it. And so there's someone else that needs to take it to the next level. We've got to figure out how to penetrate the private sector and have them engage uh, in a similar way without the pressure of competing for for private but for publicly owned land. So you know, I you know, I, I am happy that we've reached this this uh, this milestone, and I think that Boston and Massachusetts is at a crossroad, and this is a piece of that puzzle. And I am clearly very happy for my friends, colleagues, and other business associates who are benefiting from this going forward, both of them personally, their families, and the future of uh, their our respective professions engaged in, in this business we call real estate development and investment. You know, I'm starting to see that change now, even in the private sector, that people are reaching out to us and they want to create a more diverse um, design team and construction team. And, and there's this kind of just, I think, as you said, it's it's not a, necessarily a milestone, but it's a, it's a kind of evolution. And I think you know, it's an important moment we're in right now. In the end, for us, you know, we it took us 10 years to get our first job in Boston. And I think all um, minority firms, they just want to be part of the mix. And and this this project really did that. I thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Callie. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Callie. Dwayne Jackson is a managing member of Alina Capital Partners and former member of the Massachusetts Port Authority's Board of Directors who pushed for the Massport model policy. Richard Taylor is chairman of the Taylor Smith Companies, where he manages multiple real estate business entities and director of the Center for Real Estate at Suffolk University. Mikyong Kim is a landscape architect and owner of the firm Mikyong Kim Design in Boston, who helped design the Omni Hotel. Coming up... He is America's leading anti-racist scholar, founder of Boston University's Center for Anti-Racist Research, and a best-selling author, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, has helped push forward discussion about anti-racism. He is a member of the 2021 MacArthur Genius Fellows, one of three who are local. We talk with Dr. Kendi for our series, The Genius Next Door. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. We'll